0: Okay, open your Bibles to Proverbs 16. Now, it's so hard this morning not to go through Romans 6 and 7 because I feel so bad that we missed it. But let me just sum it up. In the book of Romans, it's a letter. It's a letter that we should start from the beginning, And as Paul progresses in the letter, he starts with Romans 1 by kind of giving us an overview of the condition of mankind. He kind of starts out by making sure that we know that we are sinners and we live in a sinful world. And then he, he makes sure that we know that there is a gospel message, a truthful message that we can listen and learn and accept and it can change us. And he declares that he is not, because he's a recipient of it, that he's not ashamed to proclaim it and to tell anybody and everybody that they are in need of this story. And then he moves on in the second chapter because he knows that the people who are reading this letter, some probably read the first chapter, or maybe they skipped it and just started reading the second chapter. And and he says, I want to make sure that you church people, you people who are like me, who were just full of religion, who thought that you were righteous because you're such a good person and because you had such good credentials. He put a halt to that in Romans 2 to make sure that you and I know that there is not one of us that had been made right in and of ourself. And then he moves to chapter 3, and then he really starts clobbering us personally, and he starts saying things like, there is no one, not even you, who are righteous. So he made chapter three so clear. He said, I want you to stop, and I want you to look, and I want you to see the reality that a heart without a Savior As independent or as good as can be, a heart without a Savior is dead, is black, is lost, however you want to put it. Then in chapter 4, he said, okay, once you understand that you need a Savior and you take that humbling walk to the cross, you accept that in and of yourself you're nothing but with Him and his grace and his mercy I can start transforming you. And then through the power of his spirit that now indwells you. And through the tool of his word, your life can change. And you will now have a new nature. In chapter 4 he says, but what is required is that you need to live by faith. Every day you need to trust me. Every day, you need to believe that I'm in charge of your life and that by faith, you have to trust me. And to use the example of Abraham. And he said that Abraham, against all earthly hope, believed the hope. And we talked at length about the two different kinds of hope. That so often we base our life on earthly hope. Well, I hope that happened. That's wishful thinking. But he said, you know what? Against all earthly hope, if you would have looked at Abraham and Sarah and if you just had earthly hope, he would have said, ah, not going to happen. And that's why he said, against all hope. Abraham chose to believe the hope of what? God's promise. You choose to say, no, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to listen to this. Because Oh, by the way, where is wisdom with you, wherever you go, whoever you're with, whatever you're doing? Where is wisdom? It's right there. It's right there. It's, it's trying to call out to you. Where's folly? Right there. And it is that self voice that wants to reason and debate. Yeah, but. So Abraham, against all hope, decided to put that voice away and believe the hope that is a sure thing that in Romans 5, Paul said, I want you to realize what you have. By Romans 5, he's saying, I want you every morning to wake up realizing that it's because you've been justified, because you have been saved, because you are no longer lost, because you have been bought back, because you have a real walking true relationship with the great I am, stop this everlasting self-junk of discouragement and despair. You choose to see that you now have the peace of God, the ability to go right into his presence. You have access to him. You can choose to live in the hope of everything that he's promised you. You can claim it. You can know it. And shame on you if you fall back into that frail emotional state that's taken you down. You can even rejoice, he goes on to say, you can even rejoice when you're suffering, when things aren't going the way you planned, when you've been given some tough news. He said, you can even rejoice. Now, that doesn't mean you're happy about it, but joy, you can have the joy, that inward blessing that he gives you. And he says, if you choose to let this suffering do what God's purpose is through it all, you'll come off on the other side stronger because you've persevered. And you have then realized that your spiritual growth has developed more of a godly character. You see more of Jesus in your life and in your decision-making than you see of yourself. And he says, then that will lead to that kind of hope that you can hang on to through the suffering until you get there till you get to the ultimate glory you can always have hope ok then 6 and 7 you know what he says to us and I'm going to sum it up to you because this is basically what chapters 6 and 7 is he said but please don't ever get lazy in your spiritual walk Keep clinging to him because you you and I, he says, we've got an old nature. We are constantly in a war with that old nature. We constantly need to put on that full armor of Jesus because that old nature, that old way of going, that old way of thinking, that old way of despair still wants to drag us And so at the end of seven, he says, I'm going to lay it out there to you. In all reality, if I'm not clinging, if I'm not staying in God's word, if I'm not listening to wisdom and learning and obeying it, if I'm not working hard at this, he said, you know what? I don't do what I should do. And I find that I should do what I should do. And so he said, I'm just spelling it out for you. As long as we live in these human bodies, you're in a war. And then he says this. And when I fall back to that old nature and I don't do what I should do and I don't do what I should do. He said, oh my God. Goodness, what a wretched man I am. When I choose to do it my way instead of heaven and choosing all of this and live in such a different way in such victory and hope, and then I choose despair and defeat. Just because I didn't get my way, because I didn't trust and I didn't believe that he was enough and that his will is perfect. Ah, oh, what a wretched man I am. When I fall back to that old nature and I see that ugliness and I see that disobedience. And then he says, "Ah, oh, who can rescue me? I'm surprised he didn't put the word again in there. Who can rescue me from this? And he ends. And what a way to end before Christmas because this is what I was going to say to you. Thanks be to God, there's the Lord Jesus. I was going to put it this way. What a wretched man I am who can rescue me again. Thanks be to God, there was Christmas. Because if it wasn't for Christmas, there wouldn't have been three, 33 years with a cross at the end of it, with a burial, with an empty tomb because he came out of it with an ascension with a promise that he's coming back for his children. To live in that kind of promise. So in 6 and 7, Paul says, I just want you to be aware of the fact that this issue of an old nature keeps coming back and you have got to fight it. But you've been given every tool So if you fall to temptation, if you fall into that old nature, you have got no one to blame. But who? Yourself. Yourself. And don't you ever forget it. I'm trying not to. So now as we move into Proverbs 16, I want you to hear these wise, wise words of advice. And we're only going to basically do the 16th chapter today because I really feel that the 16th chapter pretty much has them all in there. I might highlight a couple in 17 and 18, but I didn't want to miss a word in 16. So, here's the advice. To man, to man belongs the plans of the heart. Now, periodically in this chapter, he's going to talk about our plans. Do we plan? We plan trips. We plan, I'll tell you, we even plan out our life, if we're honest. And Solomon is not saying that our plans, the Lord is saying don't make plans. He's not saying that. He just says, I want you to know that to man belong the plans of the heart. We all have got them. But then he comes back with that second line and says, but in your plan making, whether it be trips or whether it be to the extent of your whole life you're planning. The Lord, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. So what is he trying to say? Okay, in all your plans, just remember who gets the last word. Who gets the last say? What a way to start. What a way to start the year. By hearing such great advice saying, go ahead and plan. But always, always keep in mind that your Lord God, the one who created you, the one who knows you, the, the one who loves you, and don't miss next week. Because nothing is going to, you're going to learn nothing separates you from that love. One of the best chapters, I think, in the whole book. But this is what Solomon is saying. Always remember that you're God, the one that you should, should give full reign to. You should say, good, I'm glad you got my plans. I'm glad because you know what's best. I'm glad you love me enough to say no because sometimes I think the plan should go like this. And I'm, thank you that you love me enough to say, nope, that's, that's not what's best. Solomon says, I want you to start looking at these t- little two-liners and say, thanks for that advice. Thanks for reminding me of that. All a man's ways seem innocent damn. All of our ways. You know, don't you think that, that basically want, we want to be good people? We want to do good things. We want to be a good citizen. We want to be a good mom or grandma. or. I mean, we, we've, we basically want to be a good person. All a man's ways seem innocent to him. I think that is what this says. That yes, we do want to be a good person. However, the second line, Solomon comes back and said, but there's one word that, again, I want you to always remember. That in all of your good deeds, and in all of your wanting to be a good person, just check, what's the word? motive. Check your motive. Because he says, I want to make sure that you realize that there's only one of two reasons you're doing that good deed. And that needs to be checked every now and then. Because you'd be surprised at how many of our good deeds is done because why? Because I want to look good? I think if we're not careful, yeah, the bottom line, the basic thing is that Osala because the other the reason for the good deed is we're doing it totally for him. Now, are we really thinking that when we do a good deed? Usually you're thinking about the other person you're doing the good deed for. Yep, and then you've gotta then your motive is okay am I doing that for praise am I doing that for a thank you from them or am I do, totally doing it because that's what the Lord's asking me to do now I know that down deep we hope that we're doing it totally for his purpose or are we doing it because okay, there, there might be sometimes how do you feel when you do a good deed for someone and it totally goes ignored or, or, okay, now you're talking, Rosellen. You feel ticked off. Yeah. So, good thing we're going over this proverb. Because, unfortunately, even though we think we're doing it for that other person, if you totally get no recognition for it, you get absolutely, in fact, you think... Yourself, you know, they don't, they didn't even say thank you. They just expected, they just assumed. And you find, and you kind of get a little raw feeling about that. Then guess what? Your good deed wasn't totally for the Lord. Because if you're doing it totally for the Lord, do you need any self? Recognition. Nope, you don't. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, like when our children and grandchildren, I'm trying to teach my kids, come on, teach them how to send a thank you note. Teach them that when they get something in the mail, that then they make a call. I'm not saying that we teach children that they can be bratty and absolutely that they don't learn how to thank I'm just saying that when we do a good deed, when we when we do something, our our thought should not be that I need anything back. That is totally done for him. And he sees, he saw, he recognized, he made a check that's all we should. And we're going to get to another proverb in this chapter that kind of brings us back to that same thought. And I think it's the next one right away. It says, "Commit to the Lord whatever you do. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. And your plans will succeed." Now there is a there is a key phrase in that first line. Your plans or whatever it says commit to the Lord. There's your key phrase. And then your plans will succeed. Now why can Solomon be so bold to say that if you commit your plans to the Lord, every one of them will succeed. Because when you've committed your plans to the Lord, however they turn out, what? That's the way the Lord intended. And that's success. However that plan turns out is the way the Lord intended it. And you can can count on your plans being successful because the Lord had his way. No, I'm telling you. See, right about now, I'm saying to you, do you think it's important that we study scripture, that we don't just read it? Do you believe there's a difference between reading and studying? Big difference. I think there is a danger when we try. Now, I'm not saying there isn't anything wrong with reading through the Bible. I do think that there is an element of Of nervousness that comes over me when we try to say, I'm gonna read the Bible in just a few months. I think it all sounds good, but you tell me how much how much time have we spent right now in three verses? And I'm telling you, if I had been just reading that fast because I wanted to get my daily reading done, I would have not caught commit to the Lord. And I wouldn't have pondered the thought that committing my plans to the Lord means that I am surrendering. I'm relinquishing my plans to Him, saying, I want success. And the only way I can have real success is if I surrender them to you. Because you're the only one that can give me true success. The Lord works out everything for His own ends. The, word, the Lord, he's, you're going to watch Solomon in this chapter feed us this thought a couple times too. He wants you and I to make sure that we know that the Lord is going to work out everything for his own ends. Now why should you and I love that line? Why should that line give you and I Peace. Why should you and I look at the condition of this world and say, it's hopeless? What do we know about, what does this line say? It's going to work it all out. So when everything seems unjust or injustice or unfair or whatever, let the Holy Spirit help you recall this line. The Lord's going to work out everything for His own end. So when you think someone's getting away with it, when it's just not fair, the Lord's going to work it all out. And then Solomon says, even to the point of even the wicked for the day of disaster. Wake up, he says. You can either trust that the Lord's going to work everything out for his good, for his purpose. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. All evil is going to be banished to eternal hell. You should be saying, yeah. You should be clinging to that in all your unfair treatment. But then a reminder that says, you know what, to those who don't get this, who are flipping about it, he says, they might look like they're getting away with it now, but I got a day that's coming. I'm just warning you. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Why should you stop and take a look at that? Because... If you think the Lord detests something, should that matter to you? The God that saved you, that brought you out of your hopelessness and your lostness, should you and I care that there are things in our lives that He detests? And that should matter. And what and this is the this is his main one. He absolutely detests when we rele- when we release our cling to him and we think we can handle our life. He detests that when you and I do that. He detests that people think that they can go through life without a savior, that they've achieved and they've accomplished and they don't realize that they need to stay lowly and humble before the Lord because he is the God of all. He detests that. And then look at this. Whenever I see this, and again, if you read this too fast, you will have missed this. What does that second line start out by saying? Be sure of this. What does that say to you? when you see that be sure of this it's like you better take double look you better not even consider that there could be another way to look at this whenever I see like James when he says take note of this write this down be quick to listen slow to speak slow to become angry when I see Jesus say I am when hear Jesus say, I will, when I see statements like this and say, be sure of this, I step dead in my tracks and I say, okay, I'm going to look at this. Be sure of this. Those who thought they could do it without him, be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Now that can mean for all eternity, but I made that personal to me this past month. He detests it when I disconnect from him and think that I can do it myself. When I think that the Yabba is permissible or I can I, I have a good I have a good reason for. He says, well, now, make sure of this. Whenever you fall to that, make sure you know, I'm going to punish you for that. You're going to pay for that because I'm going to teach you somehow, some way, that you better not stop clinging to me because when you do, it's detestable to me. Okay, now we get a broader sense. He says, I want you to know that it's through love and faithfulness that your sin has been atoned for. What is Solomon bringing to to your recall? Why should you want your new nature to reign? Why should it matter that there are things in your life when you fall out of God's will and his plan for you that it's detestable? Because you're, you think you're a know-it-all? Because remember, it's through his unconditional love, it's through his faithfulness that your sins have been atoned for. It's nothing you have done. Again, just a reminder, he said, your sins, Instead, in case you're taking it for granted, Your sins have been atoned for because of His unconditional love and His faithfulness. And through the fear of the Lord, and through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids sin. So what is he saying? If His love and His faithfulness atoned your sin, that should mean so much to you that you utilize His Spirit And you fear the Lord because you do not want to detest Him. You do not want to hurt Him. You are grateful for what He's done. And any time you want, if somebody's done something so wonderful for you, what is your impulse? You want to do something back. And what's the best thing you and I can do for Him? To give back? What does he want? Does he need anything? No. What does he want from you? He wants wants me. He wants you. So he said, if you really have taken on the love and the faithfulness of a Savior, your sins have been atoned for. Live in that justification. But the best way you can show him that you're grateful is by staying, living in the fear of the Lord, by putting him first, by making him top priority, by listening to his counsel, by taking the time to get to know him better. He said, and I, and I love this because he said, you will avoid what? You'll avoid evil. You'll avoid going back to that old way. You'll avoid those obstacles that are trying to keep you down. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord. Now why should why should that stop you dead in your tracks? Because if you were really honest, who do we really try to please most of the time? Either our own self. Or another person I think of how many years I wasted thinking that my worth was based on pleasing others so right away that line is a catcher it says when your, when your ways are pleasing to the Lord so he's saying that should be your ultimate desire not to please yourself not to please other people Because by now, you should be realizing that the Lord can see my heart. He can see my motive. He can see my selfishness. He can see all this. He can see if I've really committed my ways to him. Or if it's just nice words coming out of my mouth so what what he's, what we 're basically saying is that he can see the real, so am I really living my life to please him? And look what happens: He makes even his enemies live at peace with him i 'm going to tell you a little story that happened to me this Christmas. Tom and I have this Christmas parade, this this special Christmas parade that we just love. And we went to this Christmas parade this year, and we we decided to take an hour and a half and stake out our little real estate so that we could have a good view of this parade. Because we love it, and we didn't want to miss any of it. So we staked out this corner and sat there on the hard ground for an hour and a half. Less than five minutes before the parade started, this family pushed their way in front of us, stepped on my toes. And thought that that was going to be perfectly okay. Now this is when I'm so glad I was studying Proverbs because this is when, and, and Romans 6 and 7. And, and I'm hearing, I'm hearing the Lord, I'm hearing Paul say, remember what I warned you about in 6 and 7? That you've got this old nature that keeps wanting to come Out. And then it wants to jump out quickly. And that quickly. I mean, this family, I know they had little kids, but come on, we waited an hour and a half. Every I tried to come up with every reason to be able to say, would you move it? <laughs> and you know what one of the justifications was? It's just not fair. Right? And all of a sudden these Proverbs come on. What does is, what is Solomon try to tell me? Life isn't fair. Get over it. So what are you going to do? How are you going to react to this? I couldn't believe how as much as I'm growing in the Lord, that's why Paul warned us, don't think you don't have an old nature. That quick, and I even started justifying. I tried to come up with, yeah, but, and all. All of a sudden, I <clears throat> doesn't take long for the wisdom to come into your ear, if you're willing. I looked at Tom, and I said, can you see good enough? <laughs> and it was so precious. He looked at me, he says, yeah, I can see good enough. And I said, so can I. And we just let it go. Do you know that there was about one minute that this young family was an enemy to me? They were an enemy. And I was going to deal with my enemy. But I know without a doubt that I went, and I might have moved them, and Tom and I would have had our clear view. But I know there isn't a doubt in my mind that I would have went back home that night and I would have thought to myself, in the scope of things, Lanelle Pierce was that, that important. And I'd have felt guilty and I'd have been mad at myself. And when I was reviewing this week and I thought of that instance and I thought, this is so true. Because, you know, in the course of, this, of the parade, we got to be friends with him. And you know what else was so cute? Is that we started watching the parade through the eyes of those three little kids. And if we would have pushed him out of the way, we would have missed that blessing. And I'm thinking, is there, is there truth when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord... He makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Now, I know that sounds like a simple little trite scenario, but these proverbs are for our little trite life scenarios. He's trying to get us to look like Christians, act like Christians, and be Christian, a follower of Christ in every way. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. And again, I don't mean to put that little crazy parade in there, but better to have an obstructive view and to know you handled it right than to have demanded because of the injustice, God, your way. I just, I just don't think it's worth it. I just don't think it's worth it. That's what Solomon is saying. Would you look at the big picture? Would you look at things that are really important? And kind of look at it through that instead of your selfishness. In his heart, a man's plan, a man plans his course. See, he's bringing us back to this, our plans again. He said, in our heart, we go about planning our course. But just a reminder again, that's why I prayed what I did this morning. Thank you, Lord, for not having Solomon categorize, Because I needed this brought back to me again. I need to be reminded that even though I plan my course of life, I need to remember it's the Lord who's going to determine my steps. Because you realize we can we can plan and plan the longevity, but look, don't you just love the idea that the Lord is with you every step of the way? To me, that verse can be priceless. Make your plans, but knowing that you've got a God who's walking with you every step of the way and knows when to put up a roadblock or knows when to say no to your plans because there's danger ahead that you can't see. Or you need to be changed. You know, when I went over that proverb, commit to the Lord, whatever you do, and your plans will succeed, you commit to him, even though I can't say that I committed sitting on that corner for an hour and a half. I didn't commit that to the Lord. I wasn't thinking about that, but but he wants me to. He wants me to commit everything to him because when he chooses to change things, he he wanted me to learn that. He wanted me to learn that piece of wisdom and advice. Commit all your ways to the Lord, every, every detail, because when I choose to change it, you'll accept it. He wanted me to learn that even through the instance of a simple parade. He was working on a bigger picture. <laughs> he was working on my heart more than a braid. The lips of a king speaks as, of, as an oracle. The, the lips of a king. Now, a king is anybody in, in leadership, anybody who you've got people looking to you and believing you and trusting your words. So, I mean, if you read that quickly, you think, well, that doesn't pertain to me. I'm not a king. No, but you are in a position of authority. And whether it's a child or whether it's a grandchild or somebody, that's depending. If somebody takes your hand because they trust you, because they feel safe with you, if somebody comes to you and asks you, but what do you think? If somebody ever says that to you, if your grandchild is listening to you tell a story, they are just believing you. How do I know that? Because I would change stories sometime with my grandkids, and I, they would say, "Does that really say that, Grandma?" I didn't think it went that way. And if I would say, "Yes, it did," if yeah, that's the way it goes, then lay back their head, okay. If Grandma says. And I realized, boy, that's powerful. That's why when I recorded my last recording, I wanted it to be for children. And by then I had a grandchild. She was three. And I put her on the cover. Because when that little girl, I took care of her so much. And that little girl, she would go home and she'd say to Chad and Jody, but Grandma said, grandma said and so I titled that CD my grandma says because that was a constant reminder to me so when you read that proverb you've been given a great position you've been given a great privilege but what does he go on say? your lips better not Betray justice. In other words, you better be saying the truth. You better make sure that your words are trustworthy. You better pull, You better make sure that your life is worth that hand that they take. Honest scales and balances are from the Lord. All the weights in the bag are of his making. Simple, simple, simple. What does Solomon say? What is the Lord? You can see, don't think you're getting away with it. Don't think you're sneaking something through. Don't think just because you got away with it. Now, what does he say? I want my children what? Honest and truthful. Kings detest wrongdoing for a throne is established On unrighteous, righteousness. There's where I look at that. The ultimate king of my life is Jesus and he detests my wrongdoing because he did everything to make my life right. His throne in my life was based on righteousness that he bought and paid a big price for. So just a little reminder, Solomon brings back and says, hey, the king in your life, he hates it. When you think you can control a matter or you don't dare to surrender or you don't dare trust. Kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value a man who speaks the truth. A king's wrath is a messenger of death. But a wise man will appease it. I'm going back to that... I'm going back to that. Uh, the authority will we put you in authority over? When you're taking care of children or grandchildren or, whenever whoever whoever in your life trusts your words. Do they ever drive you crazy? <laughs> do they ever? Do they ever? exasperate you? Do ever you do ever you just want to shake them and just out it comes? Because you've tried to teach them and they keep doing the same thing over and over. And he said, yeah, but do you know what? That your words in a spit of impulse What can your words do? This whole thing, remember, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is the worst nursery rhyme there ever was written. I'd rather be hit with a stick because of words. So that quick, when they exasperate you, when they get under your skin, when the impulse is, they're driving me crazy, and you lose it. Those words maybe not literally kill them but it can kill their little spirit but he says a wise man can appease in other words a wise man is going to hear wisdom say control that think before you speak think before you react When a king's face brightens, it means life. His favor is like a rain cloud in spring. Okay, we're back to that king thing. That, that authority. If you're that authority figure, when those subjects that are looking to you, does your face brighten the day? Do you you believe that your countenance can make a difference in someone's disposition? Do not ever underestimate countenance. Do you know people that can walk into a room and it's like they turn the lights on? I'm going to flip side it. Do you know somebody that can walk in a room and kill it? Somebody, somebody that is always downcast, someone that's always negative, someone that's always critical. You're put in that position. Are you bringing up a room? Because of the countenance of Jesus coming out of you, that even when you are going through the valley of the shadow of death, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you could brighten room with the truth of what's inside of you, or are you so downcast that when people just have to look at you and say, "Oh, a downcast face, a continuous negative spirit, a continuous crabby, critical disposition, does not know the Lord in a real way." You just can't, and I dare state that. You can't stay in a down, defeated state and be on that highway of uprightness when you've been given every tool. Solomon just keep bringing that back. He says again, how much better to get wisdom than gold? To choose understanding rather than silver. He started with that concept at the beginning of Proverbs. He's bringing it back. He's saying, okay. To me, I I translated that verse by saying, now that you've started 2018, and you now choose how you're going to utilize this year, how you're going to utilize prioritizing your daily activities, just remember that the time you spend listening, learning, and obeying the wisdom of God is far better than any because things and material possessions and all this he said you can't take it with you let me just tell you again that all the time and effort it takes for things and money and all of that, it doesn't hold a candle to the time and effort you spend gaining wisdom. The highway of the upright avoids evil. Sure does. Stay on that highway of the upright. Because, if you, because what, is the, what is the motion of the Lord? It's always forward. It's never stop. It's never go side to side. It's never backward. It is always forward. And if you're moving forward in your relationship, if you are taking that closer walk with him and you're moving forward, look what again he says to you. You can avoid evil. If you let self stop you in your tracks, you veer off course, you start rehashing and going backward. That old self will take you back to all all those down and despair words. And that rotten personality. Is it just reminding you? I'm changing the words here because I believe pride and haughty spirit is self. Whenever you choose to fall back to yourself, well, just just be reminded. You're going down. There's gonna be destruction. Whenever you put self in charge, there's gonna be a fall. It's like you can almost hear Solomon say that that new saying, I'm just saying. It fits there. He's saying I'm just saying. If you don't think it's serious when you fall back to that old nature, let me tell you, the consequences, the results, you're going to pay for them. Better to be lowly in spirit. Better to stay humble before the Lord. Better to not get a whole lot of recognition. Better to not get a bunch of pats on the back. than in the plunder of the proud. Whoever gives heed to instruction prospers. Anybody who listens and learns and obeys, you're going to prosper. And that doesn't necessarily mean in a human standpoint. You're going to prosper because you can go to bed at night with no regrets, no guilt. You did it right. You don't have to carry that heavy weight. You give heed to his instruction. You're going to prosper and be blessed. By this time, we should know that any time you read the word that he wants to bless you, you don't want to miss it. He will bless those who dare to trust him. To me, it says he'll make it worth your while. In some shape or form, he'll make it worth your while. The wise in heart is discerning. The wise in heart are called discerning. We learned in the first part of Proverbs that wisdom takes on discerning knowledge, and the words understanding. That means when you get it, you start making right decisions. So basically he's saying the wise are called discerning because the wise make good decisions. They make good choices. And pleasant words promote instruction. Understanding, when you start, when you get this, when you start taking heed and you start going slow and you start making these proverbs in your life and you start realizing that this proverb was for me this understanding what does he say it gives you such a a word picture it's like a fountain of life if you see a fountain where does the fountain start it starts from within and it just gurgles its way until it comes out of you but folly brings punishment to fools. 23, a wise man's heart guides his mouth. Jesus said it, out of the overflow of your heart. See, if whatever is coming, gushing out of your heart, what does Jesus say? Out of the overflow of the heart, your mouth speaks. So he says, a wise man's heart is going to guide his mouth. And his lips will promote instruction. Look at this beauty. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. And that's a great illustration because even back in those days, honey was known for a great healer. Honey, there's a lot of great advantages to honey. So he uses pleasant words As a honeycomb, your words can bring sweetness. They can bring encouragement. They can make someone feel good. Your words can even bring healing. Solomon throws that back and says, I would be careful about your countenance if I were you. I'd be careful about your words if I were you. Because your words are like a honeycomb. There is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. Oh, thank you, Solomon, for not just putting things in order and categories because I needed to be reminded of this again. There is a way that seems right to man. I think of how many people are walking this life without a Savior thinking that's perfectly fine because they got a handle on it. I think of how many people are sitting in church pews because they think they're doing so many good deeds, because they haven't checked their motive, because of all all the the things they haven't studied. Thank you for reminding me that there is a way for so many that seems right to them, but in the end, it's going to lead to death. The simple, brutal, honest answer is a life without Jesus is going to hell. The laborer's appetite works for him. His hunger drives him on. Right about now, he throws in. He throws in. Okay, um, I'm going to check with all you workers in society. I want to check your attitude. How many of you grumble and go to work every day wishing you didn't have to? How many of you have such a an ill disposition and you carry that throughout the day. How many of you believe that your job is so lowly and you feel the bottom of the bowl? that you feel so belittled? I'll tell you, I've got a husband who worked 10 years at Quality Car Wash, put on that, that, that shirt every day. Oh, when he started, it was a hard pill to swallow. When Jack DeWitt would come through, he was almost embarrassed. He would come home and tell me that. Because many would say, what in the world are you doing, Tom? And he had to say, I need a job. When her singing voice went down, I needed a job. And at my late 50s, there was nothing. Ten years he chose to change his attitude because he chose to believe that God could use him or reboot him. He chose to get up at 4.30 every morning believing that he could do something for God's kingdom. And more people are going to miss that man because Thursday's his last day. But I got a note from the company saying we're throwing him apart and he never raised himself to a position that he could not wear that shirt. He stayed in that lowly position for 10 years. But they want to throw him a party. And it wasn't an easy job. He came home freezing cold sometimes. But he believed, and I'm only saying this, and I get tears in my eyes because I look at that verse. And Solomon is saying, Okay, would you take a look at your life? And what is your countenance? What's your disposition? What is your attitude? Do you believe that God can use you wherever? And the only reason Thomas put in is because next week he's getting a new knee. And he knows that he can't do what he used to do. He's not quitting for any other reason. He's not mad. He's not, he's not just sick of it. Because I just don't feel in and, and my late 60s I have to do this anymore. No, he just knows he can't. He's not able. But I watched him for 10 years, and I think this is a check for any of us when you're called to do a job for him. You see, and do you do it because, no, you're not going to get recognition because I can see your motive. So let's see why you're doing it. Are you doing it because I asked you? Because of what I've done, I atoned your sin. And do you want to live your life because you want to say thank you? Because if you, now look, I'm going to go fast here. You can, your life can be, you can be a scoundrel. You can be perverse. You can be violent. You can just be ugly. You can be a manipulator. Because I think that's the winking of the eye, the, 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 the perverse lips that he's talking about. He's saying, you know what? Left to your old nature, you stay in your sin. That's what you're going to look like. But you know, the older you get, the more you take in these words, the more you listen and you want to learn, and the more that you obey, and the more you let them change your life. And that's why he said, gray hair is a crown of splendor. You should be smarter and wiser every day. Blessed is the man who controls his temper. Blessed is the man who's patient and not a fighter and quarrelsome and a picker. And I'm going to end with this last verse. The lot is cast in our lap. To me, that means none of us knows what this year is going to bring. But he ends this by saying, you and I can walk into the unknown. We can walk into this year not in fear. Because why? Everything that happens, every decision that is made for us this year, every choice, every suffering, every happening, every good time, every bad time is what? It's from the Lord. Because he knows what's best. Chapter 18, verse 21. I take it back. I wanted to lend one more. Chapter 18, verse 21. Just remember this the power of the word, the tongue, the power of your words. the tongue has the power of life and death so in a nutshell i believe that in these three chapters of proverbs proverbs i think solomon came right at us and met us right in front of us in front of each and every one of our seats and he talked right to you and me personally and he said You better make sure that you're looking at your countenance. You better make sure you're watching your demeanor and your actions. You better watch and make sure what's coming out of your mouth. You better make sure how much time you're spending in taking care and growing that heart of yours. Because what's in your heart is what's going to come out of your life. And do you want to do something that's detestable to your Lord and Savior? Or do you want him to be thankful that he can use you? Have a good week.